the first customer for our software was New York City. Um, you know, and uh, you know, New York City Department of Social Services (HRA) there is is probably in the top five social service agencies in the world by size. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you will hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon, recording remotely from my home at this time. And on this week's show, I speak with Graeme Stubbs, the co-founder of Diona, a company who is changing the way that people engage with healthcare and social care professionals. He talks to me about how his own personal family experience created the mission for this company and landing New York City as a first big client. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to get brand new shows directly into your feed. Graeme Stubbs of Diona, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me on Architects of Business today. I love your story. I love your the evolution of your purpose, if you like, because it is really grounded in um, in your own story, in your own life, and in meeting a very real need. And we will come to this a little bit later. I also love the idea of a business that can sell itself through the savings it makes to its clients. That's just a beautiful thing to me. But let's let's not start at the end. Let's start okay. at the beginning and talk sure. a little bit about um, your career journey, which is very much interwoven with your personal journey. Um, sure. And I think it's probably, you, you, you studied in tw- Trinity, but I think things really flipped when you had a key moment and, uh, and a lucky win in the lottery. <laughs> a lucky win in the lottery, yeah. Not financial lottery, but uh, maybe visa lottery. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, I guess, you know, how far back do you want to go? It's it's kind of been an interesting journey for me, you know. It kind of uh, came from a very working-class area of Dublin. Uh, my parents were always very hardworking. Um, my dad actually set up a business himself out of need. He was made unemployed, and, he, you know, he always worked all his life. And he kind of set up his own business in, in relation to that. Um, and, and that then, was yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was kind of in the music business. He 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 was a warehouse manager originally for KTEL, if you remember KTEL Records and all that kind of good stuff. And unfortunately, he was made redundant in the eighties, and the eighties were you know, challenging time in Ireland for all sorts of reasons. And um, you know that kind of came upon the family. My dad had always worked; he'd never been unemployed, so a bit of a shock. Um, and he just kind of picked himself up and uh, kind of said, well, to hell with this, I'm going to do my own thing. And so, yeah, he set up his own kind of music business focused very much on, say, uh, you know, indigenous, traditional Irish music and video and DVDs. And, um, yeah, he was quite successful with that and uh, became quite well respected within the industry because of it. So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, that that's kind of, you know, my my background and my, my mom. Uh, do you do you remember being sort of um I suppose emotionally engaged with that process? Because it's quite traumatic to think oh, that, sure. you know, in the, at that time your your main provider loses their stability. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, for sure. Like, you know, those kind of memories are quite vivid at the time. You know, interesting enough, like, you know, my dad always had a very strong work ethic. So we always worked, you know, I worked all the way since I was 13. 
So my first job was caddying at a golf course near where we lived. Um, the, you know, so we always worked. He always instilled that kind of sense of, you know, work ethic, um, worked all the way through college. But yeah, when that, when that happened, uh, you know, absolutely. It was, um, it was, it was kind of a shock to the system like it would be for any family. And it was interesting at the time, like, you know, we, we, we used to slag our parents afterwards, but, uh, you know, at that time we ended up kind of being the, the kids that were contributing to the family at the time. So we had part-time jobs. So we would hand up like 50% of our income for the week just to kind of get by. Like I do kind of remember those, those stories and used to slag my parents that, you know, you know, 14 year old, 15 year old paying rent, (laughs) you know, but, um, but it is values in you. you It does. And I suppose it, um, it, it very early on makes you face up to the fear of what's the worst that could happen. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, thinking back now, I don't think that kind of enters into your mindset at the time, but certainly on reflection, you could, you could kind of think through that, you know, and, and kind of view, view, view it that way. Um, certainly at the time. I guess, I guess my of, point, Graeme, uh, sorry, I guess my point, Graeme, is that um, one of the things I think that holds people back from um, an entrepreneurial journey, if you like, is, is that fear. Um, and and when you kind of know you've been low and you've got through it and come out the other side, as I'm sure, as yeah. the story of your business unfolds, there have to have been low points where oh, sure, you know yeah. you thought we're out of here. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, yeah, back yeah. to the green card. Yeah, um, no, yeah, and yeah, you yeah, found no. yourself. Yeah, so finished Trinity. You know, ended up in Trinity kind of by sheer accident. I, I guess I was always a good academic student at secondary school. But, um, ended up at Trinity by by sheer luck. On one level, uh, but yeah, finished the degree, came out of college. You know, this is pre-Celtic Tiger. Myself and my girlfriend at the time, who's Sheila, who's now my wife. Um, you know, we were both sitting around. I think nineteen ninety-two, ninety-three. Um, you know, pre-Celtic Tiger. There wasn't very many jobs in Ireland at the time either. Um, and just we both applied for a green card uh, through the Donnelly Visa program. We both got them, and we were sitting in her garden one evening and we said why not let's go and so um yeah we just kind of off we went and landed in san francisco of all places and uh yeah kind of um kind of the story kind of started there i think um you know my background was economics i'd done you know an economics degree at trinity ess it was called at the time um landed in san francisco had no idea about tech you know, remember these were the days when we were still handwriting essays for college. You know, at, at college, and uh, you know, so email was. We still make our children handwrite essays but, in school. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But, but in those days, like email, did, you know, I would never have used email. You know, first time I ever yeah. saw an email client was was nineteen ninety three, ninety four when I moved to the states. You know, that's kind of. And so was that a massive culture now. shock for you? It was. It certainly when we moved, first moved to San Francisco, um, it, it, moving to the U.S. when I'd never been to the U.S. before was definitely a culture shock. I was um, in the Bay Area at the time. I was always, always say, astounded by the nature of how people in the U.S. just got on with things. And, you know, it kind of it's a cliche, the land of opportunity, but kind of really was. I always have the story about 
you know, there'll be 10 doors of opportunity available. And if you're willing to walk through one of them, you were going to be okay. Um, and certainly Irish people at the time, you know, we, we fell very quickly into the local Irish community um, out there. We, we were put up by an Irish guy for a couple of weeks who was, who, who ended up being one of my best friends and investor in the business today. And he was a complete stranger to me at the time. Um, but we became very good. It sounds friends. like that house was, was quite iconic. It was like uh, the guy, Neil Scannell from uh, Tarbert in County Kerry. He's a, he's a doctor. He still lives in Florida. But at that time, if, if you were Irish coming to San Francisco, you, you could nearly guarantee you knew Nealis or was staying in his house. We, we nicknamed his house Ellis Island. Um, Brilliant. Because that's kind of what it was like. Um, and he was very kind to people um, and gave them a lot of time and, and hooked them up with job opportunities and everything. He was very, very interested in um, helping Irish people kind of get on and get, get set up. So, um, yeah, he was certainly a big influence on my life. Uh, certainly then and he put me in contact with with a, another very good friend of mine to this day who ended up being a great friend and an and an investor in the business but that guy gave there's me a, my there's first a team there's a team there's, there's, here there, there's a <laughs> there's a little bit of a team uh, possibly um but paul paul joyce he got me my first ever job um in the tech business uh working at hewlett packard working on a project that he was working on at hewlett packard down in palo alto and uh, my first job in the tech business was uh, we, I was wheeling sandwiches and coffees around for the engineers who were, who were on the project. And uh, I got stopped by one of the project managers who worked for EDS, which is a big, big tech company at the time, um, you know, asking me, talking to me about you know, my background, thinking I was too smart to be wheeling sandwiches and coffees around. But I had to explain to him that the rent needed to be paid. <laughs> and so uh like the fundamentals that, the fundamentals had to be covered and so uh i think he just i i think that rich rich lady was his name i think he was just astounded by how someone who had a degree from trinity would be willing to wheel sandwiches around when he was used to all these other college students who they would hire you know having certain expectations about what they would do and not do so i think he thought it was very refreshing that uh, someone would would have a different perspective. So um, because this was this was the boom, the beginning of the this, boom time in, in was, the dot com boom. Yeah, this was just as the dot com boom was kicking off. So so basically, he he asked me whether I'd be interested in say uh, you know getting on their graduate trainee program. Obviously, you know I wasn't going to turn down that kind of an opportunity. So I I, I got that. Um, I ended up being sent to Plano, Texas for six months of programming boot camp. And then I was sent to a couple of projects in um, in Detroit, working on General Motors, doing some kind of coding project work. Getting my grounding, I guess, and first, first probably career experience in the US, you know, it probably stood to me. And my wife at the time as well, like she did very well. She she had a job in, in Ireland, working for Bank of Ireland at the time, and she left that to go work in the States, and she started on the reception. Well, I'd say her parents were wringing their hands that she left a good job in the bank at that time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you knew Sheila's parents, you, you would know that, that they, they, have a very, they had a very different view on what's important in life, and uh, I guess that's good. what I loved about Sheila and her family. Um, good. But... Um, the um no so they were very supportive 
then she she like, like everyone else like every you know she started at the bottom you know kind of receptionist of one of the key say um um you know financial services companies over there that would you know that they focused on doing ipos she she ended up kind of starting on reception but working her way up into the trading floor and you know investment banking and stuff like that so you know she did quite well herself so Brilliant. it was a good time good time for both of us and um you know, we, we, we'd known each other since we were 19. And so then, then it became a decision, are we getting married or not? And we did. So, uh, so we decided to get married in 1997. And then, yeah, back to kind of the world where I didn't have it today. I guess our world was turned upside down in 1999 when our son Owen was born. So kind of that, that was really the catalyst for the journey I am now on, on one level. And Owen was born in, um, in the States? Yeah, Owen was born in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, born seventh of May, nineteen ninety nine. And and his um, his arrival was a pretty dramatic one, I gather. Yeah, so very, so very quickly uh, we knew something was wrong. Um, you know, so when he was born, pretty much within a couple of weeks, he was kind of given six months to live. Um, so you know, it, you know, very rare genetic kind of disorder. It's called a mitochondrial disorder. Uh, which effectively means he can't turn food into energy. So 24 by 7 care, it's like, um, you know, severe development, developmental delay, severe physical, you know, kind of uh, challenges. So requires 24 by 7 care. You know, we, we have to feed them, clothe them, all that kind of good stuff, uh, which my wife is a saint about, to be honest with you. So, uh, um, and I suppose that, that that child who was given six months to live is now 21. Yeah. So he yes. shows the tenacity and the unknockdown ability <laughs> of his forebears. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it's like that whole thing. Sometimes the doctors can be proved wrong. It's like, um, but yeah, um, you know, he came through that and uh, yeah, he's still with us today. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think that he's had a positive impact on everyone he's ever come in contact with because he's just a beautiful child. And uh, I think if you asked anyone in his life, they would say their lives are better because they know him. you know, certainly, certainly he, he grounds a lot of his cousins and, you know, growing up, they, they, they take care of him and look after him and uh, they get a grounding in some of the things that are really important in life. So, so he's been a very positive influence on people. He's also the reason that you moved back to Ireland with this yes. um, slew of experience um, yes. in in big big tech and startup tech, yes. and uh, he's also uh, the reason that Diona began. We are going to take a quick break, okay. um, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, the, the the pretty important next phase of your career. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. So, Graeme, you find yourself in, um, you know, a pretty difficult situation. You're back from the States um, with uh, your new son who needs care. What happens next? You, you're, you're, you're back into an environment that's very different from Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. And it probably took me a while to adjust to it as well, to be honest with you. you, know, it was, you know, nearly a culture shock coming back to Ireland. Um, so, um, yeah, obviously, when Owen was born, we kind of decided that we need to get back to Ireland as soon as possible, um, just to be closer to family and friends and, and kind of get that support. Um, and uh, so we did that. And uh, we got back to Ireland. Um, we, you know, kind of got settled down, the usual stuff, uh, moved into a home. Um, 
and obviously in parallel, you know, starting to think about careers, what are we going to do in Ireland? And then also about, um, you know, how we're going to get our own sorted in terms of his, you know, access to programs, benefits, services, uh, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so from a career-wise, career-wise, I guess, at the time, we, we, we decided that, you know, Owen was going to need full-time care. So Sheila, we had decided Sheila was going to kind of be his full-time care. And so I was going to be the, the kind of the, the breadwinner, as it were. Um, and that's the kind of way we consciously kind of decided we were going to, you know, divide up the, divide up the world that we had. Yeah. And um, I had, I was, I had actually kind of decided at the time I was going to get out of the technology rat race. I'd, I'd had enough of the dot-com boom and bust and, um, and I wanted to go do something different. And I had it in my head at the time that I was going to become a teacher. Um, so I wanted to go back and do a bit of teaching. That was my kind of goal. Um, uh, and I guess, you know, we started to, you know, begin to get Owen set up. And I remember vividly having dinner with Sheila one night and we're talking about the challenges we were having around just getting him set up with all his different programs, services, benefits. You know, we were, you know, we were having to deal with numerous different government agencies. Um, there was really no coordination. Um, you know, we would talk to one agency about one particular thing and they would say, well, we don't deal with that. You're going to have to talk to a different agency. So we were kind of, just kind of moved around from Billy to Jack. There were thousands of pages of forms that we were being asked to fill out. You know, at that stage, Owen was getting mail. So this is a two-year-old, you know, kind of special needs kid, and he's getting mail. You know, asking him like things like, you know, can you confirm your address and just oh my things goodness. like that. And like, this is just craziness. Um, but anyway, yeah, you're drowning, kind of, drowning in a sea of disconnected paperwork. Well, kind of, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm having dinner one night with with Sheila, and we were just talking about how if we're finding this challenging to to manage, you know, we're lucky. Can you imagine what this is doing to to vulnerable families and you know families that are not just as, as fortunate as, as as we we are, you know? So um, you know, I started even in those days just thinking about you know how technology might be applied to kind of solving some of those challenges. And literally within two weeks of me having that chat over dinner with, with Sheila, I got called by a recruiter, you know, talking to me about this small little Irish software company based in Dublin that was uh, you know developing case management and um, eligibility systems for the global social security social services market. Um, and would I be interested in a role with them? And, you know, just because of my own personal circumstance, I said, I definitely want to understand what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so went, went for the interview and, uh, you know, 10 years later, I was there at that company and that company was getting sold to IBM. And, um, you know, that company was built by the founders into a very successful indigenous Irish technology story. And that company was called Quorum Software. And, um, uh, yeah, as I said, that you know that company was sold to IBM, um, and then at that time, then it was another career choice. What what do I do next? I, you know, I had the option to go work for IBM, fantastic global brand. Um, but I'd always said uh, that you know, and a couple of us within Corum had always said that we would you know have a chat on an exit and uh, see what we wanted to do or whether we wanted to do something together or not. So 
Um, we kind of met up. We were all traveling at that t- at that time. Um, my my two business partners that they ended up being my business partners, John Polkowski and Neil Singaraju. We um, we ended up having a, a meeting in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, of all places. As you again, do, as you do. Uh, well, we just were all happened to be in the region on business for for Kurum at the time, and um, we we just sat down. You know, over the course of a weekend in Healy Max Pub in in Kuala Lumpur, and again, it is such a cliche. Um, but the nucleus of the idea and the strategy behind Iona was basically um, uh, formed during those conversations at that time. And and we both, we sorry, the three of us decided that uh, our journeys hadn't finished in this space. We we saw an opportunity for the next generation of software for the market and what the next need would be. And we basically and just said, just uh, so this this was the germ of an idea that was bubbling along in the background of Quorum based on the difficulties that you had experienced with with trying to get own set up. Well, no, I th- well, so I think we'd moved on from that. I'd moved on from that at this time. Like you know, Quorum was you know was was addressing a number of those challenges um, and and doing very well. And I'm very passionate. I got very passionate behind that business and what we were doing. I think really, you know, in 2011, when that business sold to IBM, it was really a choice of, do we want to continue the journey? Do we think there are other problems or new problems to be solved? And uh, we felt there was. And so certainly my journey kind of in that space or in this space hadn't finished. And we just felt that we would be better off trying to address those problems ourselves rather than going into IBM, which is a much bigger Kind of global company, um, we just felt that. So, so in um, many ways, there would have been no Diona without Quorum. That it was kind of an evolution oh, from one uh, to the other. Absolutely, there wouldn't have been. You know, so you know that absolutely there would no be there wouldn't be a Diona without without Quorum software and, and our experience in the market, our experience in the space and the domain. You know, over that over that those number of years, like I, I'm I'm always convinced that um, you know entrepreneurs are a product of their experience. Like we're not genetically born with some gene that makes us an entrepreneur. Um, I think you know it's largely uh, based on our experiences, our personal circumstances, um, you know, and, and and our knowledge of a particular industry or domain. Um, and that that's kind of how how Diana was born. I I couldn't agree more. It's funny because I, I don't know how many um, amazing EY entrepreneur alumni I've interviewed at this stage, but that commonality comes through so strongly that it is deep sectoral knowledge, yeah, um, and an opportunity mindset. So yeah. h- how did how did you um, approach setting up Diona? Then knowing what you knew of Quorum, yes. um, the, the good and the bad, yes. uh, were there certain things that you felt really strongly needed to be at the core of what you were building? Oh, absolutely. So there were, there were a couple of things that we, we, we decided straight off the bat. There were a couple of three key things. The first thing we wanted to stay in the market that we know so well and we're very passionate about. So whatever we were going to do, we were going to do it in this, this market. Um, the second thing we were going to do is we were going to build software. So we, we were definitely going to go build, you know, enterprise level software that could actually be used and rolled out by people. That, that's what we knew well. Um, and the third thing is we kind of wanted to build a different kind of culture within the organization, like improve on our experiences and the culture of what we, 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 we'd seen that come before us. And uh, so culture was very important to us as well. 
Um, and I guess at the time, the three of us had, say, three key strengths, or what I would say, three legs of a stool that would require be required to build a software company. Anil was the techie, he knew how to build software and design software. JP knew how to deliver software, how to implement software, and I knew how to sell it. Um, and so, you know, three core things of a of the stool, as I said. Um, so we just needed to figure out what it was we were going to build, how are we going to sell it? And I guess the fundamental issue at the time we faced was how we were going to fund it. Because one of the things we did recognize from our experiences working in Silicon Valley, working with Quorum, building software companies is it's a very expensive proposition because all your investment is upfront in building software and developing the software. And the revenues from that only flow through in latter years. Um, and that's just the nature of software and tech. Um, so that has to be funded somehow. And we weren't independently wealthy. You know, we, we, we weren't significant or you know, kind of owners in the business of a soul. So, you know, we did the usual bootstrap kind of entrepreneurial thing. We remortgaged houses. We used savings. We, we borrowed money from friends. We got family to give us initial seed money, all those usual things that, that you do. And, um, that's how we kind of got going. So you're, you're, and I know what this feels like, but you're, you're driven by this passion, um, to, to, to create this even better solution. Um, and, and you particularly, I suppose, from your own experience, um, how important was it for you to be able to deliver, um, a sort of a, an efficient solution for people like you who had been through what you'd been yeah, through. Yeah, but that's that, that's kind of, you know, that's why I get up in the morning. Um, you know, I get up in the morning, you know, because I love what I do. I don't consider it a job nearly. Oh, it's hard work, but on one level, I don't consider it a job. Um, you know, I, it, it, you know, I, you know, I'm very passionate about what what, what I do, and and all the employees in the company are very passionate. It's that that's part of the culture, you know, um, you know, you know, I've often been asked, what's the big challenge in your business? Well, one of the big challenges we face is, um, you know, we're a tech company and there's a lot of competition for tech talent. You know, we, we, we don't necessarily can compete on the big salaries that Google and Facebook and all these guys kind of command. Um, we have to be competitive in terms of compensation and a compensation structure. But we do tend to look for employees and hire employees that 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 are passionate about what we do, um, and that's very important to us. And so, how would you define, other than passion, how would you define the culture of Diona? So it's very open, transparent. So I probably have a personal relationship with most employees. Um, of which there of, are how many now for uh, our listeners? Just, just over eighty, you know, globally in different countries. Um, you know, very open, transparent. So we encourage everyone, anyone can pick up the phone or now pick up Zoom and call me. Anyone could walk into the office. You know, you know, I've never had my own office. You know, I, we sit out with, you know, the leadership sit out with everyone else. Um, so it's a fairly open, transparent organization built on fairness and, and a passion for the space. So we tend to have lots of loyal you know, kind of employees. Long-term. Yeah, and, and loyal customers. You know, I think that comes through with our customers as well. So so let's talk a little bit about your customers because yeah. Diona is a truly international company yeah. um, and we'll come back to that um, okay. in a short while. So 
when this creation was fully formed, you had um, basically designed a solution for for government entities yes. to to create efficiencies for um, both their their departmental structure, their field and case workers, and the end user. Yes. So you know, at the time, one of the things that was happening in in that period, as we all know, is like mobile devices like tablets and mobile phones and smartphones were having a huge disruptive effect on the commercial world. You know, you know, people are, you know, got so used to engaging with their bank in a certain way, you know, booking holidays in a certain way, ordering a taxi in a certain way. And certainly we felt that that ultimately was going to come through in terms of how citizens engage with government agencies in, in, getting access to benefits program services and in the way that say field social workers and caseworkers and things like child welfare and adult protective services and you know in-home care in the way that they work and engage in the field and our feeling at the time was well you know if someone could go build a software solution that that allows government agencies to deploy those kinds of solutions very quickly very fast um, in a different way and allow people to engage in a different way, then that was going to be a winning strategy. And most of the case management systems in the world, most of the technology systems at, in, in this market weren't, weren't there. They're not designed to do that. Like systems of engagement are just very different. Like designing a solution for a mobile phone and you know, to be used in a very kind of enterprise level way is very different than designing, say, a desktop application. It's just, it's just very different. And the capabilities and, are different. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose that it, it is a kind of a, a cross-platform efficiency that, that sets yeah. you apart. Um, and, and am I right in thinking that your, your kind of breakthrough client was New York City? Yeah. So our first, our first yes, our, the first customer for our software was New York City. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, New York City, the Department of Social Services, HRA, there is, is probably in the top five um, uh, social security agencies in the world, social service agencies in the world by size, by, you know, the number of benefits that they deliver, the amount they spend, they're, they're just huge. They, they, you know, the population of New York City is 8 million, um, 10 million maybe, but, uh, you know, they, they, they have a huge number of clients that they serve. And so they're, they're quite large. So yes, so to get New York City as our first customer for our software, was a huge big win for us and a huge, say, you know, kind of flagship and flag that we could plant and talk about around the world. Um, but were there corks popped that night, Graeme? There were a few. <laughs> we, we actually didn't cork any pops, any kind of, any, didn't do any celebrations until actually the, the solution went live. Oh, um, now that's a proper entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, proper proper social impact. I mean, it, that, that's that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. So winning the contract is always one thing, but uh, actually seeing the thing go live and working is another. And they're two very different things. Um, and it was our first customer, so you know there, there were always going to be things like it was the first time our software was actually used in any you know real environment. So there were going to be possibly issues that would arise that we would need to fix and turn around and, and sort out fairly quickly. You know. I think it was what General Patton talked about, you know, the you know, the first engagement with the enemy, your your plans change. Well, it's kind of like in software, your first live deployment brings up things that you may not have even thought about. And so you have to kind of 
be very quick to turn things and around. And your second and your third, I'm sure. You know, yeah, it's, sure. it's like you can't sure. get married to the plan because the plan will fail and you'll have to replan. So, but, but now, yeah. And, and, and so now you, you are providing your service into, among many others, in New York City, Washington. Um, Arizona is an interesting um, case study because the work that you've done with them has, has um, uh, seen them as an awarded uh, state. Yeah. Yeah. So a number of our customers have won, you know, international awards, you know, New York, Arizona, uh, even, you know, some of our smaller companies, or sorry, customers like the States of Guernsey have won awards with the International Social Security Agency. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of very proud of that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's something that we work very hard on to deliver quality software that really makes a difference. And, um, and, and not only does it make a difference to to the people who interact with it, Graeme, but it also makes a difference to... Um, to, to the, the coffers of, of the governments that you work oh, with. Yeah. Arizona yeah. saved how much? 18 and a half million? So that's what they're projected to save, yeah. So in their kind of case study that, that they kind of uh, released as part of the, of, of, of the project, yeah, they, they, they projected a significant saving. Um, I think really more importantly, though, for them, you know, so yes, so, so sometimes it's about cost savings, but it's often, if, it's often not necessarily about cost, if you, if, you, if you kind of think about it a different way. So if you think about, say, child protection, and, you know, today, most agencies around the world arm their social workers and their caseworkers with a pencil and a piece of paper, and they go out and engage in a very paper-based driven process. Um, and then they spend, you know, up to 80% of their time doing data entry, whereas most social workers, caseworkers want to be spending 80% of their time with families and children. Uh, and people to, to kind of help them. And so really what, what our software is designed in terms of that use case is really to digitize that engagement process between the caseworker and the social worker um, in that moment of need when they're engaging um, and do it in a way where they don't actually end up having to redo or retype or do any more data entry. And, and modern so devices. There's a, I presume at that stage, there's also a connectivity between the information in each department. So because it's digitized. But yes, exactly. And, and then, then there's options for making more informed decisions based on better quality data and more real-time data. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it's also about giving, giving the, the caseworkers access to the up-to-date information in the moment of need when they need it when they're making critical decisions, um, you know, when they're making critical decisions about very important things like, you know, you know, kind of abuse and neglect allegations or, or you, know, you know, helping families kind of improve, you know, how they, you know, how they work and how they kind of manage the challenging situations they face themselves with, you know. So, um, so yeah, so it's about providing the tools to those caseworkers and that, that use case that that really improves the productivity so oftentimes it's not really about cost, but it is about, say, doing efficiency more and productivity. And efficiency. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So given, given, you know, your sector and where yes. you're working, COVID must have created um, both challenges and opportunities for you as a business. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Um, so um, certainly in challenges, I think I mentioned earlier on, you know, just just you know, we're, we're, we were geared up or we are geared up. We, we built our business very lean and in the cloud. Um, 
so we manage our business, our internal business in the cloud. So, you know, having our staff work remote is just second nature to us. So, you know, having virtual teams is just second nature to us. We, we're, we work across nine different countries. So that, that's, that's, that's normal for us. Um, not necessarily normal for our customers. You know, most of our customers tended to have on-site teams. Um, so I think, you know, our customers showed a lot of flexibility in terms of very quickly you know, putting in the capability for them to allow, you know, vendors like us, you know, do the work we do for them remotely. Um, and then us getting set up to do that was kind of just, that that's just normal for us. Um, so, but it was a challenge. It's a challenge to work with customers to help them, you know, kind of pivot very quickly to do that kind of work. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the challenges. Um, I think. And, and were there greater opportunities then through, through your Washington um, connections? Well, so I think, so, the, the, you know, Washington, D.C. is a recent project that we've just completed. And um, you know, Washington was essentially a, a direct result of COVID-19. Um, so um, one of the things a lot of government agencies are trying to do around the world is, is improve their, say, say their, uh, you know, kind of online kind of capability to serve the citizens that they serve. So COVID-19 has caused a lot of government agencies a lot of challenges, particularly, you know, if you think, think about, say, um, agencies like Washington, D.C., um, where at the same time, a lot of people are being laid off or furloughed. There's a requirement for them, those citizens, to be able to apply for benefits and services as a result of that. Yet at the same time, you know, they can no longer you know, go out and queue up in a social welfare office to make those applications, provide the documentation. So how do you do that? And we were very fortunate of, we, we, you know, New York City had invested in that kind of capability with us a number of years ago. So it was through. proven. So it was proven. And so all of a sudden, an agency like, you know, in Washington, D.C. would come along and say, we kind of need to provide the same capability, but we need to do it really quickly. So, you know, literally weeks ago, we engaged with Washington, D.C., and they went live last week. So five-week project to get them up and, up, up, up and running. Literally every single resident of uh, New York, or sorry, of Washington, D.C. now can apply for uh, benefits through a, a, a mobile solution that, that's on their phone. They'll have the ability to receive push notifications. They'll know the status. They'll be able to upload documentation in support of their benefit claims. You have absolutely been recognized through the EY network and yeah. your association with Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, what, what have been the benefits that you've seen or, or what's your experience been of that? Uh, good question. Um, I, I would say two things. I, I think there's two aspects of it. I think there's EY themselves. So certainly we have gotten great benefit just from the relationship with EY and the expertise that we can call on within that organization, um, whether that be formally or informally. Um, they have a great network of partners around the world who we've engaged in for different things. Um, um, and I just think the advice that they've been able to give us in Ireland on everything from you know, our kind of tax to, you know, kind of HR issues, you know, runs the gamut really in terms of business operations. You know, certainly that has really been beneficial to the company and it helped us. 
and and then when we've had say kind of key strategic issues or just you know decisions to be made they've been a kind of a, a, a kind of a a voice where we can go and kind of talk to and get 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 a perspective so we found that really invaluable as a, as a business um then secondly i would say um the alumni themselves have been um terrific so you know um i've often been on the receiving end of calls asking me for advice on particular issues that people would be having um but more often than not it's me reaching out to other alumni saying what do you think about this um uh, the thing that i find fascinating to be honest with you is that it's great to be able to talk to people with with experiences in different industries so we may be in different industries but we also all have say some common challenges that we face every day and so it's it's great to be able to come out of the bubble that i operate in and be able to talk to folks who have maybe different perspectives on things and i've found that very very useful um and, and you know long may it continue absolutely and there's something kind of lovely in in you all um knowing uh the sort of underbelly of it as well so it's not just all wine and roses it's it's no. it's that respected honesty that you, you know that yeah. there are tough times as well yeah no absolutely and i think it's it's interesting you know it's it, it, the thing i found with the alumni um is that uh you know most of the successful entrepreneurs that that, that are part of that, that i've talked to are, are very humble and honest in terms of you know where they're business has come from and developed and and it isn't a bed of roses it's hard work um and you have ups and downs all the time and um you know what i find is when 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 there are tough issues that i need to kind of figure through and address um those are the times that i reach out you know I, i've never had one one alumnus contact me saying how great they were right it's all, <laughs> right it's it's always a bad these are these are some of the challenges how how do you approach this you any suggestions on how i do it and uh i think there's just a genuineness about the folks in the alumni around you know how can we help each other and um you know i i i didn't think when i first got engaged with it that that was going to be a kind of a, an outcome that was going to be important for me or my business uh but but it has been Amazing. Graeme Stubbs from Diona, um, I'm pretty sure that you're on route to global uh, takeover with your solutions. And I'm as somebody navigating the fair deal scheme at the moment. I'm looking forward to it arriving on our shores. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and watching Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to the whole team here at Joe and of course to our entrepreneur today, Graeme Stubbs. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get brand new shows directly into your feed. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. 